So a couple years ago, Laura and I went to downtown Chicago uh, to go watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off uh, at Millennium Park. It was awesome. There was probably a few thousand people there, and you're watching this movie that takes place in downtown Chicago while you're in downtown Chicago. It was really cool. It was a good time. And there's a scene in the movie where Ferris and his friends, as, as they're playing hooky from school, uh, they encounter a parade where Ferris joins one of the floats. And then he starts lip-syncing lip to Twist and Shout as covered by the Beatles. And everyone's just getting into it. And as we're watching the movie, everyone in the crowd starts standing up as well. And singing and doing the Twist and Shout and singing. And I mean, it was loud in there. And everyone is just having a joyous time, a great time. And you could probably hear that crowd at Millennium Park from probably a couple miles away. Um, these few thousand people singing and dancing together. Uh, I mean, it was just wonderful. And I'm sure that you can think of an event that you've been to uh, that, that's similar to that, whether it's a parade or a concert or a conference. Remember when we could go to things like that, right? Uh, but you could, these gatherings where there's a, a large celebration that's full of joy. Uh, this is similar to what Nehemiah and the people had in their day when they dedicated the walls of Jerusalem. So we're going to focus on that part of the story today at this wonderful, joyous celebration. But let me back up and cover what's transpired up to this point. So we've been in this sermon series, From Ruins to Restoration. And it's been a bumpy road. Uh, it's been well over 60 years. Uh, it started with the first return of the people out of the Babylon to come back to uh, the land of Judah. And then it began the rebuilding of the temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And then to the restoring of the covenant, covenant under the leadership of Ezra. And to now, the, finally, the rebuilding of the wall under the administration of Nehemiah. And the people have seen God work in so many ways, fulfilling all of his promises to restore the people. And so the worship and the word and the wall have been restored. And I think if you're looking at the, at the story, just, just on the surface of things, it kind of looks like a lot of just human activity happening, right? Like you see these kings who are doing stuff, you know, King Darius and Artaxerxes who are uh, giving the people permission to return. And you have these great key leaders, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, who inspire the people and organize the work. And then you have the other people, the workers, who are laying the stones upon one another and getting the work done. And on the surface, it kind of looks like just a bunch of humans doing stuff. But the people of God know better. Because it, yes, all these people were involved, but it was God who was working in people's hearts to get the job done. It was God who had stirred the hearts of the kings to give the people permission to return and to rebuild and to provide them support. It was God who had moved the hearts of the people to join in, uh, in with this project, both with physical labor and with lavish generosity to get the work done. And that's why when the wall was completed, they, conclu they concluded back in chapter 6 that they said, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. You see, the Jewish people, they had been on the brink of destruction in the exile of Babylon. Everything had been totally destroyed. And it was only God who is going to be able to bring the people back to a restoration. And here they are now, witnessing to the work of God in their generation. 
And so as they finally prepare to dedicate these walls, you know, how are they going to do it? What is their response going to be to the lavish grace, the lavish redemption and generosity God has poured out on the people? And we're going to, so today we're going to look at their response. What do they do? And we're going to learn how we can respond to the grace of God that's been poured out in our lives. You know, of course we see that primarily in the cross where Jesus paid it all to redeem us and save us and his resurrection to give us new life and eternal life. But also we celebrate the ways that God works in our lives and we, we wonder how we, we might respond to the grace that we've received. So how do we respond to what God has done? We're going to learn that from the people today. And number one, this is what we can do. Number one, we joyfully celebrate and worship God. We joyfully celebrate and worship God. So in chapter 12, if you're following along in your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 12, looking at verse 27, says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals and harp and lyre. And this is a large celebration. This is a joyous occasion. This is like that big uh, uh, gathering of people. It's a time to celebrate God with, and pull out all the stops. And so this was a priority for the people. And notice it says that the Levites, they were, they were sought out. They were, they were sought after. They were, they were brought to Jerusalem and they were organized and they were mobilized for this grand act of worship. And then they want to employ a variety of instruments. Uh, they bring out the cymbals and the harp and the lyre. Uh, and then they have two large choirs that are organized. Um, and we didn't uh, get to this in our scripture reading, but the choirs actually go on top of the wall of Jerusalem, and they process on top of the wall uh, in opposite directions, all the way until they meet back up into the temple where they continue the worship gathering. Um, and so this is like a parade going through downtown. I mean, this is a huge procession and celebration. And if you ever get the chance to go to Jerusalem, you will see this tradition of procession uh, to celebrate still there to this day. In fact, you'll see people processing through the streets uh, to celebrate baptisms and weddings and bar mitzvahs. And people are just singing, and there's someone banging a drum, and it's just this—people are dancing in a procession all through Jerusalem. It's, it's ama quite amazing to see, actually. And um, there's just—there's something so powerful about celebrating joyfully who God is. There's something so powerful about joyfully singing to God. And, you know, this is something that the church does for big occasions— you know, like, like we celebrated for confirmation last week or how we might celebrate a baptism or a wedding. Uh, and frankly, it's how our church uh, is going to celebrate when uh, our, renov our renovation project is complete. We're going to have to do some type of celebration to dedicate our building. Uh, but more than just big occasions, friends, joyful celebration can be a regular part and should be a regular part of our walk with God to connect us with God, and to get us through the difficulties of life. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, chapter 4, uh, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. You know, I think some people, they, 
they might think that, you know, just this joyful worship, it's just this kind of pie in the sky. It's kind of ignorant of all of the hardships and difficulties that we face. But, you know, Paul said this word about rejoicing from prison. He was in prison for the sake of the gospel. He was in chains. Not like prisons of today. I mean, this is rough. This was a guy who was very familiar with struggle, with hardship, with persecution, with beatings, with hunger and shipwrecks and cold and nakedness and sword. He, this guy knew it all. I mean, it was crazy. And this is the man who says, rejoice in the Lord always, always. You see, and it's rejoice in the Lord. It's not rejoice in our circumstances. It's not rejoice in our material blessings. It's not rejoice in what's going on in the world. No, it's rejoice in the Lord. Because no matter our circumstances, he's always good. And if we get our perspective right, there's always something to joyfully celebrate about God. And it reminds me of what the prophet Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 3, verse 17 through 18. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and though, though there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Don't you love that yet? It's kind of like saying, in spite of it all, in spite of all of the difficulties and hardships, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This is something we're called to do. We're called to do in the midst of the valleys of life. It's something we're called to do in spite of everything going on, in spite of COVID-19 and and all of its restrictions, in spite of the chaos of our political season, in spite of the injustice of everything going on, in spite of personal difficulty and tragedy, God is still good. Hillsong has a, song, has a worship song called Desert Song. And the lyrics say, All of my life, in every season, you are still God. And I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. What a, what a powerful lyric. You know, and this is actually a spiritual discipline to rejoice in God in spite of the work of the enemy, in spite of the brokenness around us. And it's also a spiritual discipline to actually pause enough in our lives to do this. You know, I, I think we don't do a great job in our culture of pausing to celebrate God and to enjoy the goodness of God and to, and to celebrate and mark the occasions and the seasons. You know, the people did not finish the wall and say, okay, what's next? What's our next project? What's our next to do? What are we doing next? What do we got to get done next? What's our next activity? But we are, we are often so tempted at just to go on to what's next, to rush to the next activity, to go to the next thing. But the people, they pause and they organize themselves for worship, for celebration. And you know, frankly, this is why uh, weekly worship is a spiritual discipline and necessity. It's a pause in our week to say no. To say, I'm not going to let the tyranny of the urgent, the tyranny of my calendar, or even my hobbies and my recreations, the tyranny of my work, I'm not going to let all of this get in my way. I'm going to pause it all and celebrate and remember who God is. I'm going to take time 
to pause and celebrate. And we're meant to do this not as a dreary obligation, but as a joyful celebration, a joyful opportunity to celebrate God and who He is. And so when we come to worship, joy ought to characterize our gatherings, even in the midst of everything going on. You know, I've, I've called our worship service before the, the heartbeat of our congregation, something that pulsates by the power of the Spirit, pulsates life and health to the body of Christ. And it's often the heartbeat of my week as well. You know, I've been thinking about the joy of our confirmation service last week and hearing the testimonies of the confirmands and how their stories of how God has worked in their lives has inspired me uh, all week long. And that's how it's meant to be, that when we come to worship to rejoice in God, it's actually helped to, it's, it's meant to help you learn to rejoice in all circumstances throughout the rest of your week. You come practice on Sunday to rejoice, and that begins to bring life to you so that you can rejoice the rest of the week in the goodness of God. So the people respond to God by joyfully celebrating and worshiping God. Number two, how we respond to God's grace is we give thanks for all God has done. We give thanks for all God has done. Now, thanksgiving is a huge theme in our text this morning. Uh, in verse 27, it says that they are organized for songs of thanksgiving. And then Nehemiah says in verse 31, I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. And it's kind of funny in the Hebrew, basically it's only one word for thanksgiving. These are like thanksgiving choirs. That's the, they're just thanksgivings. That's, that's what they are. That's what they do. Their job is to give thanks to God. So it's an incredibly important part of our response to God's grace in our lives. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was describing some of the the worship of the early church, he says in Ephesians 5, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual uh, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God. It's a vital part of our worship experience and our worship celebration. You know, and I think just as we have pause, uh, just as we have trouble taking time to pause to celebrate, I think sometimes we can experience trouble uh, pausing to give thanks to God. Um, I think we get caught up in just kind of doing it in a general way. Oh, thank you, God, for this. Okay, and, you know, and kind of move on. Uh, And there's a comedian who confesses to really not liking thank you cards because he doesn't know what to say on the inside. You know, on the the outside it says, thank you. You know, what do you say on the inside? Very much. Or, you know, thank you. See front. I mean, you know, it's a struggle. What what else do I say here besides it's redundancy to to put more? You know, I think sometimes we have trouble with worship and with thanksgiving because we don't like to get very specific, or we don't take the time to get specific. But that's why worship and thanksgiving, these are spiritual disciplines that form us and shape us in the image of Christ. It's going that extra effort to specifically say, Lord, this is what I adore about you. Or Lord, I am thanking you for this in my life. And you know, we've been in the Old Testament for a while, so I, w- I want to bring a story from the New Testament back in. So uh, we good, healthy diet of the Old and New Testament. And Jesus tells a story in chapter 11. And it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, 
Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, distancing, and they called out at a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. See, only one out of the ten returned to give thanks to Jesus for what he had done for them. And Jesus commends the man's faith and his thanksgiving. And, but he also has a judgment upon the nine who just accept the blessing and go on with their lives. But often isn't that what we do? We, we love to get the blessings of God. We love to get the provision of God. We love to get the forgiveness of God. But we don't return the thanks and adoration that our Lord deserves for all that he has done for us constantly again and again. And so just like the leper comes back to, to give praise to God, he couldn't move on unless he comes back to give thanks to Jesus. The people in Nehemiah's day, they couldn't just move on to other work until they had taken the proper time to thank God for all that he had just done to get them to that point. And so they did this by appointing thanksgiving choirs, people to sing. And what they did is they marched along the walls until they met back up in the temple. And you can just imagine as they're walking around, they're seeing the visible reminders of what God has accomplished. And then some, some people wonder, you know, what, did, what were they singing? And some commentators think that maybe they were drawing upon Psalm 48. And I think you'll see why. Psalm 48 says, Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. You can imagine the people in Nehemiah's day singing the psalm as they walk around. And the conclusion of that psalm is interesting. It says, it talks about the God that will be, this, this God who made all of this in Jerusalem, who made all this possible. This is our God and he will be our guide to the end. You see, when we notice, when we are specific, when we have specific gratitude for the ways God has worked in our lives, it actually inspires faith. It inspires confidence that this is the kind of God that we follow and trust. And this God will be our guide to the end. So intentional gratitude, it strengthens our faith, our faith in the God that we serve and follow. So the people, they joyfully celebrate who God is and they worship him, and then they give thanks for all that God has done. And finally, we get to number three. How do we respond to God's grace? We give great sacrifices unto God. We give great sacrifices unto God. Our text ends on a very joyful note in chapter 12, verse 43. And on that day, 
the day of the dedication, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Like any parade, like any celebration, there is joyous celebration that's also accompanied by these great sacrifices. Now, these were costly personally to the people, but they were given as an act of worship. And really, the great celebrations in the Bible, they're uh, pretty much always accompanied by these great sacrifices on behalf of the people. And I think it's because what we give to God out of our selves, not of our possessions, it's an expression of what we've been doing. It's an expression of how much we adore him, how much we worship him, and how grateful we are for all that he has done. Do you see the connection? We adore God, we give him thanks, and out of that, we have a heart that's full of gratitude that we can't just help but giving great sacrifices unto the God who is our maker, who is our redeemer, who went to the cross, who loved you and gave himself for you, spilling his precious blood so that even though we were his enemies, even though that we had rejected him, even though that we fail him, he still loves. He is still faithful. He still forgives. He is still trustworthy. He is still our redeemer. He is still our Lord. And because of that, we are so grateful to give great sacrifices unto God. Now, we don't give animal sacrifices anymore. Jesus paid the full price. We don't offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the final sacrifice on the cross for our sins. But now our sacrifices include our giving and our good works. You know, when the Apostle Paul was in prison, the Philippians sent him support, and he said something interesting about their support that he receives uh, in Philippians chapter 4. I'd like you to see what it says. Let's turn over to the screen. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, I have received everything in full, and I have in abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You see, it's interesting. The people send support to the apostle Paul, and Paul calls that an offering an acceptable sacrifice that's pleasing to God. You see, our giving is a sacrifice of praise unto God. Our giving to the Lord's work is a sacrifice of praise. It pleases him when we do this cheerfully because we grasp who he is and what he has done. And so the church over 2,000 years has always emphasized the weekly offering to encourage us and to form us and shape us into generous people who respond with great sacrifices unto God for who he is and what he's done for us. You know, and we're not passing plates right now because of COVID, and many of us have, even before COVID, have already transitioned to giving online for many reasons. But I think it's still important to have the doxology, to bless God, to remind ourselves that all blessings come from him, and then to take time to pray and to dedicate what we give as an act of worship, not just, not just paying a bill, but, oh my goodness, I am so grateful for what God has done for me. I can't help but keep giving weekly 
to the Lord's work. And so your weekly giving, friends, it is a sacrifice pleasing to God. And many of you uh, also gave generously to support the work of our church renovation that's beginning very shortly. And we're excited to start that project. And that giving was a great sacrifice unto God. And we are going to joyfully celebrate together when that work is complete and dedicated all to the Lord. Because we not, could not have done it without God providing and without him stirring our hearts to do it. And so your giving, it's a part of your response to what God has done. Uh, but giving is not the only sacrifice that we can make to God. Hebrews 13.6 says, Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. You see, doing good deeds and sharing with others, some of those basic good things, these are also sacrifices that please God when we do them. And this is something that if you don't have a lot of money or if, you, if you're a teenager or, or a child and you don't have any income, you can still give great sacrifices to God with your time, with your good deeds, and with what you share with others. So giving good deeds, uh, sharing with others, praising God, worshiping him, giving thanks, these are all sacrifices pleasing unto God. And that's how we respond to his grace. And friends, I want to remind you this morning that our God is so worthy. He is so worthy of every song that we sing. He is so worthy of every praise that we bring to him. He is so worthy of every thanksgiving, of every dollar that we give, of every minute that we sacrifice to do good. It's all un unto his glory because he is worthy. He is good and he is God. So let's live lives of great sacrifice for the one who sacrificed it all for us and loved us unto death. So the people in Nehemiah's day, they respond to the grace of God by joyfully celebrating and worshiping him. They give thanks to God for redeeming them and restoring them, and then they give great sacrifices unto God. Let me just give you a few thoughts about how we might apply this into our own lives. Firstly, I'd like you to consider developing a regular rhythm of gratitude in your life. You know, I know of some families, they talk about uh, at the dinner table, they share, hey, what's one thing you were thankful for today? What's a positive thing from today that you'd like to share? It's going to be something you can do around, around the dinner table. I know other people who are fans of journaling, and maybe it's daily or just weekly, and you write down some things, God, I'm thankful for this. It can just be a few sentence, sentences of specific gratitude to the Lord. And even that small effort can make a significant difference and your love for the Lord, and your gratitude to the Lord, and how that even impacts your life and your outlook on everything going on in our world today. And the second thing I'd like to, to you to consider is really more of a question. Uh, I'd like you to ask you, how are you doing in thinking about your giving right now? You know, are you able to think about it as an act of worship? Are you remembering who you are giving to and why? You know, it's important to remember that this is something we do as an act of worship unto God. And the Lord may be calling you to continue the giving in spite of hardship or even to increase. That's, that's between you and the Spirit. And to do it in an attitude that's joyful and cheerful. But also, I want to remind you how practical giving to the Lord's work is. 
you know, our text actually in verses 44 through 47, it reminds us how practical giving is. And it talks about how the giving of the people enabled the work of the temple. It enabled the Levites who sang and played instruments and worshiped. And all of these offerings contributed to the community's worship and their, their life together. And that's true. It's just as true today in our time as it was then. Our giving enables the work of the Lord in our communal, our communal life together. And I want to sincerely thank you for your sacrifices unto God and to this church community during this time. Through COVID-19, our giving has remained strong, and that has enabled us to do things. We've been able to purchase new equipment to get our church online, as we're doing now. We've been able to get new equipment to get our church outside, because uh, we weren't prepared for that either. We've been able to hire a new staff member to, uh, to take over our director, uh, our, our uh, coordination of communication and administration. So we're thankful to bring Ben Mertz aboard. We're thankful that we're able to retain Matthias as our worship coordinator. We're thankful that we're able to pursue ministry even in spite of everything that's going on. And not only that, you continue to be generous in the giving towards our church renovation project. Uh, and I believe God has worked through your generosity to provide for this project. And you know what? It's not too late to join in if you would like to. And when, all, when this project is said and done, friends, we are going to celebrate. I don't know how yet, but we are going to find a way to celebrate together, to dedicate this building again to the Lord for his use in South Wheaton, and to joyfully praise him for providing and making it possible. God did it in the days of Nehemiah, and he's doing it again, I believe, with us. So friends, as I close this morning, may you remember who our God is. And may you meditate on all the marvelous things he has done for us and for you. And may you be prompted by this to celebrate joyfully in spite of it all. And may it cause you to give thanks regularly. And may it inspire you to give great sacrifices unto God for his glory and for neighbor's good.